0: we Welcome to the July 7th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the most recent candidate to join the crowded Republican gubernatorial primary this week, Steve Barlock. He's a Denver-based realtor and former Denver co-chair of Donald Trump's Colorado presidential campaign. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Usually, uh, the Trump campaign experience in Colorado, combining with now a statewide campaign for for gubernatorial primary, wouldn't mix, but in this case it does. Your
1: thoughts? Well, with the Colorado Senate campaign last time, we were thinking about a clown car just for the Republican candidates. Now we are going to have a dueling clown car demolition derby. You cannot believe the number of people who keep jumping into this race. And I'm going to make an early prediction that Steve Barlock will not be the winner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the few safe predictions we can make around here. Uh, Michael Fields from Americans for for Prosperity. Does Barlach's entry into the primary push it right, or is he relevant enough to do that?
2: I don't think he's relevant enough to do that. I think, you know, the the campaign's going to continue on kind of as is. Um, It is interesting because he has ties to the Trump campaign, but it doesn't shift the dynamics of the race. It's still Brockler, Walker Stapleton, Cynthia Kaufman, if she gets in on one side, and the congressman on the other side, uh, Polis and, and Perlmutter. But if you guys remember, uh, during the presidential primary Republican side, they had uh, kind of that second-tier uh, little kids' table debate, and I think we're going to have to bust that out again in this race.
0: <laughs> we always see the little kids' table uh, handy here at Channel 12, so that's going to be good to have. Nick Garcia, reporter with Chuckby, Colorado.
3: Uh, what do you think of Barlock's entry into the crowded gubernatorial primary? And I think we're going to need two kids' tables, one for the Democrats, one for the Republicans. Um, you know, Colorado has never been Trump country. I don't think it ever will be Trump country. So all I have to say is good luck. <laughs> Indeed. John Bowman from the reporter with Five Points News. Wrap it up for us. What
0: do you think of Barluck's entry into the gubernatorial primary?
4: I think he's kind of a chameleon in this whole uh, deal. He, he helped uh, Hickenlooper as well. Then he helped Trump. So He's been a ca- Republican for a couple of years. Yeah, I think this guy is just uh, looking for a next paycheck, basically. So I think maybe he's going to figure out how to make some money during this run.
0: The recent request from the Trump administration's Election Integrity Commission, asking all 50 states to submit voter data going back to 2006, has met various levels of resistance throughout the country. Colorado Secretary of State Wayne Williams announced that he will adhere to the request as much as is allowed under Colorado law. Colorado's Legislative Black Caucus sent a formal letter to Williams asking that he not give into the public records request, saying that it is another form of voter suppression. Petty, we've seen explosive reaction, really from both sides of the aisle, regarding this request, even here in Colorado, which is only going to adhere to existing Colorado law. Uh, Wayne Williams is not going to go more or less just what he's required to do. What is your reaction to what we've seen as a reaction to this request?
1: it's not surprising because people are very very concerned that their records and their own political viewpoints be be held secure we have to remember that we were supposed to be worried about russia hacking into our systems and russia getting access to what we're doing now basically the trump administration wants us to hand over all our records i think a lot of people in colorado are surprised to find out just how much of this is open records anyway i mean as a reporter or a citizen you can go look up what people are registered on as you can see if they voted you can't see who they voted for but there's a lot of information already available wayne williams has said that's all he will make available but I understand the outrage. People had no idea, and they do not feel their data is going to be safe in Washington, D.C., much less in Moscow. Full full employment for our friend Lynn Bartles over at the Secretary of State's office, though, <laughs> getting the complaining phone calls. Uh,
0: between fireworks and uh, issuing questions about this issue, her Twitter feed was very active last week. Michael, as you look at this, uh, from Wayne Williams' point, Announcements, we have seen really a lot of educational efforts, frankly. You seem that he said, hey, there's already a Colorado law that says this is publicly available. Anyone can get this right now. I'm only going to adhere to a law that I, I love that in, the, in his press conference said, I didn't write this law. I'm just in charge of having to uh, fulfill uh, uh, enforcing it. Uh, and then also saying that voting history is not how you voted, just if you voted. So looking from all the different areas of the spectrum, from people's reaction to like, oh, my gosh, this is my, my most treasured information that you're handing out, but it's already publicly available, to the fact that some people are saying, well, hey, the request itself was still went a little bit too far.
2: How do you react? I mean, I think it's good that this debate's happening, that people are aware of the fact that this is the information that does go out there. Um, but I think it's interesting. I mean, you had uh, basically President uh, Trump come out and say uh, there's widespread voter fraud, whether you agree or not, and, and the left basically came out and said, prove it. And he said, okay, I'm going to start a bipartisan commission, and we're going to take publicly available information. And then people, you know, went crazy after that. And so uh, I think, you know, to Wayne Wayne Williams that has done a good job of getting out there and, and trying to get this information, saying this is all publicly available. We're not giving them anything that isn't already uh, out there. Um, and so I think the, the talks of voter suppression are a little bit, you know, overboard. Um, and, and even in that Black Caucus uh, letter that they sent, they said Wayne Williams should only re- should only put out the information that is publicly available. And that's exactly what he's doing. So uh, I think, you know, this is a great discussion to have. Uh, voter turnout is really high in Colorado. everybody likes that. Um, And and this commission, though, should get no more or no less information than what is publicly available.
0: Nick, it seemed, uh, I guess, appropriate during a July 4th weekend that everyone is talking about democracy and the foundations and things that are in our laws that maybe maybe people don't realize are actually publicly available already state law. So you have one reaction to this is voter suppression that might impact uh, even folks on immigration issues to This is already
3: publicly available. There isn't really anything to worry about. How does it finally end up? I don't know how it finally ends up, but I do think that there are two conflicting issues here. One is this deeply rooted fear of federal overreach coming from a lot of secretaries of state, uh, from a lot of governors, from a lot of groups. And I think that there is a transparency issue. And I I think you saw a lot of journalists come out and, you know, defend Wayne Williams, saying, we don't want, the reason this law exists is because we don't want a bureaucrat making a decision on what information is released and what isn't. We have laws that govern this, and that's really, really, really important. It's at the state level. This is state-level information, and, you know, we need to allow the process to work. If we don't like the law, we need to change it. But, you know, I've used this law in my own reporting, and it's, it's helpful. John, you're also a reporter.
0: Uh, when you look at this and people's reaction to publicly available data, but serious concerns from the Colorado's Legislative Black Caucus saying this is, can lead to voter suppression, where are you at on this?
4: Well, you know, this is dangerous. Uh, giving up voter voter information to the federal government, I think, is dangerous. The, the, one of the biggest things about the election process in America is that it goes all the way down to the grassroots level. Um, bottom line on this, to me, is this will give the government the idea, the, the information on when you vote it which kinds of elections you vote in whether they're the general or the or the or the uh, primaries it, it also it will also let them know where they should place voting machines if you have a precinct that votes very heavily in the in the in the in the general elections, we'll 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 put fewer voting machines there, and we'll cause lines, and we can we can conflict the election process I- any way we want to. I think it's a dangerous, slippery slope that 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 the government is is putting states in around the country.
0: Should be interesting to watch. Protests at U.S. Senator Cory Gardner's Denver office made national headlines this week, which ended in multiple arrests. A group of disabled protesters and their advocates held a, quote, die-in for nearly three days aimed at urging Gardner to not support the Senate's proposed health care bill due to its impact on Medicaid coverage. Michael, what do you think uh, is going to be the impact for Senator Gardner? Is he in the hot seat for this one or is this something that's going to impact any Republican senator between now and any potential vote on the proposed health care bill?
2: I think since 2009 and since Obamacare was passed, any politician is on the hot seat when they're talking about health care in general. Um, You know, being somebody who's in grassroots advocacy, I have a lot of respect for people who uh, decide to protest, that decide to engage the political process. Um, Obviously, you have to follow the laws, and and right now they are. They're outside of the office, you know, with a permit, and that's really good. Um, But if I'm Senator Gardner, I'm trying to do two things. First, I'm trying to talk about the current system is collapsing, right? So talking about how premiums are going up, how insurers are leaving the the state exchanges, um, and really focusing in on that. But the second thing is really making the point and I think I know Senator Gardner well enough to know he's not going to vote on a bill that is going to hurt people with disabilities or take away their coverage and if there's flexibility uh, given to the states with their Medicaid dollars that our state's not going to do that either and so it can actually strengthen uh, you know the the really Medicaid was in you know was made to help people with disabilities help uh, children and that can be strengthened through this process Nick protests of
0: this sort of really any sort can make some great political theater but not necessarily always influence. What do you think about this particular protest?
3: Well, I think it's fascinating that you bring up influence because as the uh, Denver Post pointed out in their big take back on this group, one of the protesters at um, Senator Gardner's office was taken away in a bus with using a lift, And it was this group that fought for access to RTD buses back in the 1970s. So this group has had influence, not only in Colorado, but across the nation. And so I do think that if there is any sort of protest that's gonna move the needle, this group's the one that's gonna be able to do it. John, do you think
0: senators, whether it's Cory Gardner or other senators throughout the country, are going to be influenced by these protests if they grow throughout the summer? not unlike things that happened in 2010 when you saw protests turn into big town halls and big things. Can, can this trigger that same kind of momentum?
4: It, it could. It, 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 it very easily could. But uh, I, I just think that uh, ADAPT needs a, you know, they deserve a big shout-out for, for, uh, for taking the steps that they did. Uh, Gardner is, you know, one of these guys who is on the rise. He's a, he's a young man on the rise very quickly. I don't know that he has the maturity uh, to deal necessarily with the issues that th- this particular group uh, brings up, because if you, look at their, if you look at what they draw out of Medicare uh, for their special needs, they draw a disproportionate amount of money for the numbers of people that they have in their organization. But at the same time, they're doing something, um, they're getting involved, and they're, and they're making waves, and, and, and that's a good thing.
0: Patty, how much of a hot potato does this become for Gardner? Because we're talking about just a small handful of pivotal votes in the Senate. If the Republicans are going to pass the currently proposed health care bill, does the microscope get focused on him soon?
1: Oh, I think it's a smoking hot potato for him (laughs) because ADAPT is very smart. They've proven it for decades. They have led causes that you wouldn't have thought they could have won, and they have. And now they have a whole new generation of protesters. Kaylin Heffernan, if you don't know her at Wheelchair Sports Camp, she was in a lot of the videos. She's incredible. She's an international musician, as she does all this work in Haiti. She is going to rally a bunch of people who might never have thought about this before, not because, uh, you know, not Medicare, but Medicaid and who it affects and everyone who stands to lose that kind of, those gains they've made to live Um, accessible life here in Colorado. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about it. And the fact that it really wasn't handled that well at Cory Gardner's office is also going to cut back on him.
0: It was cool to see her make such an impact. She's been on, sounds on 29th on our music show, so she's (laughs) really crossing all the uh, the various spectrums here. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock made Politico Magazine's 11 Most Interesting Mayors list last week. The list, which also included city leaders from Los Angeles, Boston, Charlotte, and Miami, Mm -hmm. highlighted Hancock for his progressive stance on marijuana legalization, immigration, and sentencing reform. Nick, the Politico
3: Magazine Most Interesting Mayors list. A big deal or clickbait? Oh, it's definitely a big deal, but I do want to point out that while I don't want to take away the stress of being mayor of Denver, a large city, Denver loves its mayors. They have a history of loving its mayors from Federico Pena, Wellington Webb, John Hancock. Um, Hickenlooper. 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 Yeah. Sorry, did That's
4: I say John? Sign it up. Sign it
3: up. John Hickenlooper. I th- the thing I was thinking about Uh, This topic is, you know, they say that character is really tested when things are bad. And, you know, uh, Mayor Hancock right now has it really, really, really good. And so I'm going to be interested to watch over the next couple of years how he deals with Denver's rapid growth, rapid gentrification, and how he takes care of uh, the lease of the city. That will be the true test of his um, mayoralship. John, as Nick brings up uh, potential challenges, they're right
0: on the horizon between what may or may not happen on along I-70. Uh, the rapid growth is still uh, a major deal. The whole idea of affordable housing become, is still a uh, big issue in Colorado. What did you make of Mayor Hancock being on the most interesting mayor's list? So, uh,
4: as, as Mike talked about, uh, I'm sorry. Nick talked about. Uh, <laughs> turn- I, know, I know. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, it was a long holiday weekend. It's okay. So, so, you know, we talk about our mayors and we love our mayors and this and that. But uh, you know, we have two, we've had two mayors that have given away the, the the store. We had we had we had one in a few years ago who you know, is helping redevelop Aurora right now. They gave away Children's Hospital, they gave away the VA, they gave away the University of Colorado Hospital and all the medical schools that go with it. Those head taxes that go with that are hundreds of thousands of dollars and that has been lost to the city. Now we've got a mayor who is uh, trying to bring, trying to bring a a thousand year flood water through City Park, tear out trees, Tear out the the clubhouse and somehow get this water to the to the South Platte River, it, it, and and at the same time, you know this whole national western. We've lost out with the Gaylord project. Um, now we have. million to fix up the 100-year-old National Western, but at the same time, there was some small print in that ballot uh, measure and that says we have a $250 million shortfall on the National Western. So that's going to be interesting to see how Hancock uh, figures out how not to become like his mentor a few years ago who gave away the store. Patty, uh,
0: one of your many uh, uh, contributions to the... Car Inside Out is included your comment about Denver is the sally field of cities. We just want people to like us. <laughs> we really, really like us. And this seems to fall into that category of, like, we're on an interesting mirrors list. This is fantastic. What do you take away from this list?
1: That it doesn't mean much, except we have to remember that Michael Hancock did play Miles, the mascot for the Denver Broncos, which alone is enough to get you, obviously, on a political list. He is giving his State of the City speech on Monday, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he focuses on because, as John said, we have huge projects, big, big projects going on in Colorado, in Denver proper, that are going to be hard to manage. And a few years ago, uh, Hancock was using the slogan, imagine a great city where everyone matters. And I think a lot of people right now are thinking, they don't matter. They don't matter because they can't find a place to rent. They don't matter because because they can't find a way to drive th- on Brighton Boulevard <laughs> to these big new places that are being built. They feel like they're not really being listened to. And I think on some in some ways the city is doing very well on certain projects. You saw that he just talked about splitting up public works so that some of it will deal with potholes and some of it <laughs> will deal with the future of transportation and mobility. But there are huge issues, and there is a big conflict coming b- between big development, big people, and the little people who feel like they don't matter.
0: Michael, how does uh, Hancock go from the most interesting list to the most successful mayor's list?
2: Well, I think they're intertwined in some ways. I mean, he has a very personal, his personal story is very interesting. He's dealing with those issues that you brought up that are interesting. Um, I don't I don't necessarily agree with him on a lot of issues, but he's never been somebody who's been a political bomb thrower. I think he has an opportunity during the, tr- the Trump administration uh, to set the tone for, you know, sticking with his principles, but also uh, being somebody who can get along with other people and get stuff done in his city. Um, there are some issues that conservatives like uh, about him. Construction defects was one of them. Criminal justice reform is another. One. He has a lot of smart people working for him, like Alan Salazar. Uh, so I think these, these recognitions are going to continue as time goes on.
0: <clears throat> Following North Korea's intercontinental ballistic missile test this week, President Trump stated that he'd confront a threat from the country very strongly. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator Cory Gardner took to Twitter to address the launch, announcing his intent to introduce legislation that would cut financial ties to countries that continue to do business with North Korea. North Korea. John, seemingly, I mean, it was a Twitter post, we don't see actual legislation, but seemingly that would include the country of China, which last time I checked, did an awful lot of business with the United something States. Something like 40%. Uh, something <laughs> like that. So, I, I don't know uh, how realistic, I, I realize we shouldn't take it as a legislative agenda from a Twitter uh, post, but, but what did you the, make of Gardner's In, in, in these
4: days and times, I think we have to, though, because uh, now you have, you, have, you have congressmen and you have mayors, you have governors saying, let's get rid of print media altogether. We don't need it. And, and so so this is, this, is, this is going to be a very tricky situation. As a couple of days ago, Trump came out and said, well, we wanted China to help us with this North Korean situation, but they're not going to help us. We're not going to help because of the trade thing that you just talked about. And so bottom line on that, I, 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 we, we're in a dangerous position right now, because if we don't want China to help us with North Korea, who, who will, mm-hmm. who can? Patty, uh, foreign
0: policy comments about North Korea on Twitter—does this this impact Gardner's political future in Colorado?
1: Well, let's face it; he's already been attacked by uh, the North Korean dictator for his hair, which was (laughs) one of the things that made Corey Gardner very interesting. That you know, the North Korea is obsessed with his hairline. Um, The fact that he actually is out in front about this, make having people talk about it—I think—is good. You know, Colorado doesn't have a huge. Korean connection, although we've got some excellent restaurants in Aurora, but now as you're watching Trump in Europe with the G20 and shaking or not, shaking Putin's hand, you really wonder if that group might actually be able to have some sensible conversation about what to do with this growing threat.
2: Michael, does Cory Gardner's comments on foreign policy help bolster him as a Republican U.S. senator? I think it's a big part of your job as a U.S. senator is uh, to deal with foreign policy issues. So I don't think it's surprising that he decided to come out with a statement. And as you mentioned, that statement was very hard on China. Um, What that actually turns into, we'll see. But I think, you know, when, when President Obama left the office, he told President Trump, uh, that the most urgent issue was North Korea. And I think that would be surprising to most Americans, given the fact that you know, we're dealing with ISIS and other things in the Middle East. Um, but once they figure out that you know, these missiles can have a range that could hit Alaska, for example, I think it becomes more serious. So I don't see uh, President Trump and the Senate really sitting around passively. Uh, they've got to figure out what that next plan will be, though.
0: Nick, North Korea is not only physically (laughs) far away, but I think it's far away in a lot of Coloradans' minds. We just don't necessarily think about that. Things like uh, immigration, other major federal issues are are top of mind to Coloradans, but probably not North Korea. So when we see a U.S. senator from Colorado talk about North Korea, how do you feel the average Coloradans
3: think about that and what their reaction is? I mean, I think that it gives the average Coloradan pause. I mean, this is a growing, mounting threat, the fact that our senators talking about it, uh, it's on his mind when there are so many other issues to be dealt with domestically. Um, I, I think it does give a Colorado in pause. The interesting thing is, is that we have a president who, in the White House right now, who is very uh, isolationist. It will be interesting to see how he, with his isolationist policies and stance in the world, takes on these major international threats. And how that all shakes out, I think, will be fascinating to see over the next four years.
0: Should be fun to watch. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun please start us off.
1: I'm going to go with Mother Nature for the wildfires around the state right now, specifically the one outside of Breckenridge. And when you start thinking about, it seems to be at the moment, um, it's getting contained. But when you think about a town that has become very, very cool, hold up, held on to its heritage, but done a, a lot of really valuable things. Breckenridge has been leading the way for a lot of those mountain towns. It's number one in the country for support of the arts in its size, has a great creative district, a lot of new mom-and-pop businesses. It is not all chains. There actually is a there there, unlike in many ski towns. So Breckenridge is a real treasure for this state and let's hope it weathers this. It's
0: certainly got a lot of attention. I just driving through the mountains yesterday. You see uh, a, a lot of resources being put there. I think folks realize the kind of impact that fire can make in that whole area. Michael, the disgrace of the
2: week. Uh, the latest projections uh, for our state's pension system, Para, uh, it shows that we're in pretty bad shape with it. Unfunded liabilities are now at $32 billion. So uh, everybody it's from the legislature with, with a B, yeah, everybody from the legislature to the Para board to Executive Director Greg Smith, I think need to start taking this uh, issue a little bit more seriously.
3: Nick? People who tweet without thinking first. Uh, we saw... <laughs> are there uh, folks that...
0: Really? There <laughs> are. And
3: there uh, was a lot of uh, talk on Twitter this week about uh, the Declaration of Independence and NPR uh, suggesting a, um, uh, a coup of some sort. Um, but also, uh, you know, not just Donald Trump supporters, but I mean, I had to call a friend out this week for posting an article that was clearly fake. And, I, you know, I just sent him a private message. It was like, hey, this is fake news. Like, you need to take this down. So, I mean, there's a lot of people doing it. It's very easy to do. But please, please, please think before you tweet.
0: At the very least, think that there might be a Declaration of Independence and not a current criticism. John.
4: Being a good Park Hill guy, I'm going to go with uh, the City Park Ditch and and that whole process and the loss of uh, Parkland to paid events. You know, uh, the city is putting on concerts in Ruby Hill all around the city, but they're charging people for them. You've already paid for the parks. I mean, those concerts should be free, like City Park Jazz.
0: Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty?
1: I'm going to do a twofer. So, first of all, the 16th Street Mall, love it or hate it, get out there this weekend because the Meet in the Streets program is starting again. They're trying to take suggestions for what to do to improve the mall. I happen to think it's a great asset for Denver. You don't want it to go away, but it definitely can be improved. And I have to say Colorado Public Television. I just donated my car. I recommend you all do the same, assuming you have a dead car. Uh, But great process. I'm happy to support this station that people come up to me all the time and talk about how important it is. When you talk about the state of the city, people watch this show to find out what we think, and then I hope they share their own opinions.
0: It was an incredibly generous donation. It was sad to see the red Jeep go, but it was a generous donation. Yeah, it did down in the middle
1: of Spear Boulevard. I think the rest <laughs> of the city is glad to see it go.
2: Michael. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Colorado drivers in general. Uh, so despite our, our state's terrible roads and traffic, we were recently ranked number 7th for the most polite drivers in the country. Uh, so everybody out there who uh, you know, gets cut off and bites their tongue, uh, I appreciate that. And, and maybe we'll get to number 1 at some point. Here, here,
3: Nick. Yeah, so I want to take the opposite um, of what I my disgrace for the week, and you know, just uh, shout out to people who are having good, honest, civil discourse in person. That can't be. uh, That's what this country was founded on, and we should do more of it. Here, Here, John.
4: Uh, Ms. Julia Greeley, uh, she is up for sainthood. Her remains were put in the, uh, actually reburied in the cathedral, the basilica. And so um, she she was a former slave. She helped the needy. She walked the streets of Denver. She had arthritis, one eye. I mean, she did it all. And so uh, uh, she's right now waiting for the big guy to call her home. And I would just say on the driving issue, my license plate is U-L-B-F-N-E. And that's how you talk to people when you go by them your vanity plate. You'll be fine.
0: That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening next week. We are very excited about the premiere of the next season of Street Level next Tuesday at 7 p.m. This time we take our crew to Glenwood Springs, the land of water. It's hard to think about any place in Colorado as a land of water, but Glenwood Springs is it between Hot Springs and the river and everything else. It's a great season. It kicks off next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Be sure to check out all five episodes of the season kicking off next Tuesday. And if you missed your annual trip to the Time Machine last Friday, you can check it out at cpt12.org. It was a great trip to 1917. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for our CAO postgame segment and all of our segments on Twitter and our Facebook feed. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.